Welcome to Ruling Sports, a podcast giving you a playbook for life. I'm your host, Alicia Jessup. Join me as I interview athletes, leaders, and innovators to uncover their game plans for success and give you insights to rule your life. Let the play clock begin. As Jake Olson says in today's episode, if there's a will, there's a way. You decide if you have the will, then you go find the way. As an infant, Jake lost sight in his left eye. Over the next 12 years, he battled cancer in his right eye eight times. After beating it seven times, doctors finally told him there was nothing they could do. He was going to go blind. Doctors told him he had six weeks before they would perform the surgery. Think about what you would do in this situation. What would you want to see if you knew these would be the last sights to fill your mind's eye for an entire lifetime? For a kid growing up in Southern California, there was an easy answer for Jake. He wanted to see as much USC football as possible. Today, Jake joins us to share his incredible story of willpower and how Pete Carroll and the USC Trojans gave him the opportunity and visual memories of a lifetime. Motivated by willpower and guided by faith, Jake discusses setting out to play high school football in one of California's most successful leagues despite being blind. He talks about how a positive spirit is contagious and can excite others to come alongside you in unprecedented journeys. Here, he explains how critical people stepped up as he worked his way to the varsity football team. Jake's football career didn't end in high school, though. In a full circle moment, he joined the roster of the USC Trojans football team. In 2017, he became the first blind athlete to compete in NCAA football, snapping in not one, but two regular season Trojans football games. Today, Jake is the co-founder of Engage, a digital platform providing the ability to book speakers, athletes, and celebrities for once-in-a-lifetime experiences. He tells us how entrepreneurship is a natural next step for athletes and gives great insights for college athletes on how to monetize their NIL. What I hope listeners take away from this episode is that no matter how dark life gets, hope always prevails. What I find so beautiful about Jake's story is its interconnectivity. Instead of letting the most difficult scenarios define him and his life's trajectory, he used them to propel him toward even greater opportunity. This is an amazing episode, and Jake is an amazing human. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jake Olson. Jake, welcome to the Ruling Sports Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you about your incredible journey and what you're doing today as an entrepreneur. Yes, thank you for having me. What goal, quote, or mindset has guided your life? You know, definitely we go back to, I guess, you know, nurture nature to an extent of, you know, was I was I born with a fighting spirit or did I develop a fighting spirit given what I had to go through as a child? But I definitely think you know, God gave me a, a definitely a fighting spirit and it developed quickly. So I guess a little bit of both in the sense that, you know, as early as I can remember, 
I did fully understand that every kid wasn't going through cancer treatment that, you know, every kid couldn't, I guess, see out of, of only one eye, but I soon realized that something was a little different, you know, that I had to, you know, kind of go through and, and do things that other kids didn't have to do. And so in that, it just was the life I knew and things that, you know, I had to do were just, I guess, normal to me. And I guess I, I, I really didn't see an, a, an option not to do them or to kind of go a different way. So for me, fighting, overcoming, you know, just dealing with it, pushing forward, um, accepting it was was something that I developed and um, relied on. And so I guess the mindset I took was just, hey, if there's like I always say my personal definitions of, res- of resilience is if there's a will, there's a way. And so that's kind of really the mindset I took through my whole life. And then obviously, to an extent, it was a blessing that I, I battled cancer for so long, because when I eventually found out I was gonna have to go blind, you know, obviously that was devastating news, but you know, that, that willpower that I had developed throughout my childhood really came into play. And that muscle I'd been exercising for the most of my childhood really came um, into use when, you know, learning how my life was going to be turned upside down. Hmm. It, it's such a powerful mindset. It's a powerful testimony and frankly, so mature. And so Some listeners may not be familiar with your story. You've mentioned cancer. You've mentioned blindness. Can you walk us through your journey with retinoblastoma? Sure. Yeah. So I was born with bilateral retinoblastoma, meaning it was in both eyes. The doctors found it when I was eight eight months old. They found it a little late. Obviously, with any cancer, early detection is key. But with, you know, childhood cancer, it's even more key. And so when they found it again, they found it late. So that left us with very little options in my left eye. The fear with retinoblastoma is that it can move from the retina through the optic nerve into the brain. And when it does that, uh, it can spread to the rest of the body, causing the child their life at that point. So that's what you're you're battling. That's the biggest fear. So you can you can fight it. Hopefully it goes away. But in the case where you don't think you can contain it or fight it, mm-hmm. then you remove the eye. So you remove the retina. Yes, you remove the cancer, which is a you know a great thing, but it's the last option because you remove the eye and by doing so you render that child sightless in that eye. And so left eye was taken out when I was again just a baby, you know, never never even remember it. The right eye, the cancer was only about half as bad. And so we were able to treat it with some chemo um, and with some laser treatment. And again, I don't even remember this. But that cancer did go away. That was a really good thing, obviously. And it stayed away for a couple of years, which, you know, is a really good sign in pediatric mm-hmm. cancer because, you know, you eventually kind of grow out of the, the age in which they consider it, you know, they can even come back. And right as we we're kind of reaching that border, we went in for an annual checkup and that cancer came back. And mm-hmm. we kind of had to go through the similar treatment. And once again, the cancer went away. And this time it was only about a year or so that it stayed away. And then, you know, just from there on, it was just this, I mean, that was the the vicious cycle of just it coming back, us treating it with, you know, again, different things. But by the time I was 12 years old, that cancer in my right eye, again, uh, had returned for its eighth time. And so at this point, 
you know, I was ready to keep fighting. I was ready to, you know, <laughs> hey, well, okay, what are we going to do now? You know, what, what, what about this time? And the doctors had a different message. And that was, hey, we've given you all the chemo your body can handle. We've given you all the radiation you're supposed to, to have, if not more. You know, you keep doing these treatments, you're going to start seeing other cancer pop up or other problems mm-hmm. in your body. Like we, you've maxed out. The other localized treatments aren't going to work anymore. We've exhausted everything. And once again, you're left with the options of, you know, you want to try to screw around with this thing a little more with probably, you know, treatments we know aren't going to work. And then wait for the day we come in here and tell you, hey, this thing is now into your brain. Or are you going to, you know, just say, okay, look, let's just get this cancer out and move on in life obviously meaning going completely blind and so we obviously chose the latter and um you know it was it was a very difficult decision just because one it was frustrating to have fought so hard for 12 years go through all of the treatment all of everything that we put into beating this thing to have at the end of the day just hey you know you're gonna you're gonna have to give up your eyesight anyways and then obviously you know, there's a lot of other emotions between sadness and, um, you know, fear and other things that come with the reality of, hey, you're a 12 year old kid and you're looking now at a, a life without sight, you know, um, and what that means and just thinking about things you can't see anymore and aren't going to see in your future. And just obviously the overwhelming uncertainty of how am I going to continue to live a normal life? So where did you grow up? Uh, so I was born and raised in Huntington Beach, California. Okay. So I, I live in LA. I've spent at this point, most of my life in LA. And I feel like if you grow up or live in Southern California, there's one of two college football teams you're rooting for. It's either the UCLA Bruins or the USC Trojans. How did you come to love the Trojans? Yeah. So my dad received his MBA there. So he moved out here from Illinois. He grew up and went to college in Illinois. Just having that kind of cardinal and gold in his blood at that point and watching USC play in the early 2000s. I mean, my dad grew up a sports fan. And I, I think he very quickly knew how special USC football was. And then when I was born, my earliest memories of football is USC. You know, it's, it is those classic Pete Carroll teams. And so you, you'd have to be born into a pretty staunch Bruin family to have not grown up and, and loved USC football in Southern California, if you're my age, right? I, I was head over heels, you know, I was, I was a maniac with how many jerseys I had and how many decorations I had. My whole room was USC. I mean, like, I was an absolute maniac. And so that was <laughs> something that, that everyone knew about me growing up. I listen, I, I was in Colorado and I was a pretty big USC football fan. Th- those were some of the most exciting teams to watch. And we've been lucky enough on this show to have some of the players from those rosters um, come and join us. Mm-hmm. Were you playing football as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, grew up with that right eye. Again, when when we would do certain treatments, sometimes that vision in the right eye would would deteriorate a little bit. So it always had the best vision. But you know, it could pick up definitely it could pick up a football and with glasses, you know, I could see I could see pretty well. And um and so for the most part, you know, definitely could play play the game of football. Um and I never went to like Pop Warner, but I you know, I was probably right around the age where I would have started. But I did play, you know, fifth, sixth grade. We played flag football at my at my middle school. And then I was playing flag football in seventh grade. And, you know, that fall, 
unfortunately was was you know the when i was 12 that, that was 2009 so that's when that cancer came back for the last time and we kind of found all the information out so obviously you know that changed the outlook of of what i thought i could do in football um you know i wanted it i was playing center for my flag football team so you know just hiking the ball back to the quarterback and blocking the guy in front of you nothing too you know intricate or special but hey i mean you know it's just so, it so fun and like you know competitive and, and somewhat physical and so i did think you know that there was an opportunity to continue to play flag football even after i lost my eyesight you know some just a quarterback led me up to the ball i could feel for the ball and just you know, snap back to them consistently. And then, you know, I'd have a dude on my left and my right. I could, you know, kind of feel both their presence on my left and right and just, you know, feel for the guy in front of me and just <laughs> kind of lean into him, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my idea of like what what I could play football-wise. And I, I tried it after losing my eyesight. You know, I, I did it for the most part in seventh and eighth grade. Well, really just eighth grade. And, you know, it kind of worked. Like it was, it was fun. Like it, it kind of worked. But when I went to high school, it was now tackle football. It was now not only tackle football, but tackle football at the highest level. I went to Orange Lutheran, and so they've been good for a very long time. You know, we, we were in the Trinity League, so we get to play Modern Day every year. We get to play St. John Bosco every year. We get to play Servite every year. We're playing in what I would argue the toughest conference in definitely California, but all of the country. The boys are going to be a lot bigger, but also I understood, hey, at this level, centers are also responsible for responsible for calling out blocking schemes and for, you know, pulling and, you know, the, the whole thing. So I just was like, look, it's probably not going to work. I'm not going to try it. I'm not going to go, you know, get hurt or, or make a fool out of myself or whatever. And, you know, that kind of mindset, honestly, you know, looking back on it, uh, to be candid, like, uh, you know, was was something that I told myself I wouldn't have after losing my eyesight. Like I, I told myself I wouldn't let blindness rob me of the things I loved. And so to be candid with you, I, I did let it robbed me of playing football my freshman and sophomore year of high school. Hmm. So I, I want to talk about that mindset because one thing that struck me from what I've learned about your story is just that. I, I feel like so many people who would find themselves in the situation you found yourself in would give up hope and would just say, oh, well, great. This is not a good situation, but you seem like you've always held on to hope and that you've held on to faith, despite what the world might see as a significant obstacle. Where did you get this mindset from? To be honest with you, it was just, uh, you know, I, I believe that my favorite Bible verse is Jeremiah 29, 11, and it's for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope in the future. And I really believe that promise. Um, I know it didn't always make sense. And, you know, when you look at certain circumstances and situations, you scratch your head and say, you know, how, how, how could this be plans that, that aren't meant to harm me? Look, I, I, I have faith that, you know, the, the only faithful thing that you can really put your trust into is God's promises. And, and I just said, okay, you know, like that's what I'm going to build my rock on. And I let it play out. Uh, a great definition of faith I, I really like is, you know, faith makes a fool of what makes sense. And you're right. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for, you know, for a little kid who, who battles cancer. And then after all, all that battle, you know, goes blind to, you know, think, wow, you know, this kid could ever, ever play or en enjoy the game of football the same way. Yet here I am talking to you and look, I don't know, but I got to probably tell you, like, I, I don't think I would have ever played, you know, division one football <laughs> if, 
<laughs> if I didn't go blind, as crazy <laughs> as that sounds. But like I said, you know, faith makes a fool out of what makes sense. And it doesn't make sense. One of the best things, you know, about faith is that, you know, again, there's there's obstacles and struggles in this world. And you're right. You know, a lot of people when facing obstacles, unfortunately, you know, they, they feel like based on on those circumstances, based on the obstacles and situation that that's going to dictate you know, their, their, their life and their, their hope and their situation, and everything. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't find hope in, in my situations. I don't find hope in, 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 you know, what happens on this earth, but rather, you know, I just, the burden I've been given is, is just to try to live a life that I've been, you know, presented with to just love, love God, love others. Mm-hmm. And, and, and really just kind of, like I said, follow my savior. And if I give those burdens to him, you know, Hey, like I, it's not my problem. You know, it's not, it's not my problem going blind. Like God, you figure that out. You know, you figure out what you're going to do with this. That's not my problem. Like, that's not what I've been, been burdened with. And like I said, I said it after I snapped for the first time on the Coliseum. I said, if you can't see how God works things out, I think you're the blind one. And I, I really mean it because it's like, once again, I'll, I, if you told me as a little boy, you get to play for USC, I would have you know, probably peed my pants and so excited. <laughs> but if you told me or anyone, hey, you're not only you're gonna play for USC, but how you're gonna do that is you're gonna go blind first. Mm-hmm. And I, I think anyone would have been like, Well, you're nuts. <laughs> what are you yeah. what are you talking about? But it, it's not supposed to make sense because I think when 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 it does, you know, you can point to oh a whole lot of things of why this happened. And of course this happened. It's like, well, in my circumstance, I mean, what what else are you gonna point to? Like, you know, blind kid who went you know, blind at the age of 12 is going to go play college football at the school of his dreams. Like, that, you know, I, don't, I don't know how that happens. Yeah, it's I mean, it, it's such an incredible testimony. That's actually my favorite Bible verse, too. And as you were talking, I'm like, when did that come into my life? And for me, it came into my life and like hands down the darkest period of my life. And that was the one thing I held on to because I found truth in that statement that despite what's going on in my life and the, for at the time, the lack of a road forward, I had to believe that there was a plan for that time and that the hardest time would be turned into a purpose. So I, I think that's just an incredible testimony. And I think your story could hopefully open up people's hearts. Do you want exclusive insights from your favorite athletes, sport industry leaders, and innovators delivered straight to your inbox? Subscribe today to the Ruling Sports Newsletter. The Ruling Sports Newsletter cuts the mystery out of success by bringing you leadership tools, entrepreneurial strategies, business insights, and wellness tips straight from some of the world's most positively impactful people. So go to rulingsports.com today and subscribe for free. You've alluded to several times now the fact that you ended up becoming a member of the USC football team. So from going from watching those glory days as a child to becoming a member of the team, how did this happen? So how it did happen is my so end of my sophomore year of high school, I was dying to somehow participate in football again. Again, this is a sport I love. And I came to the realization that I just was halfway through high school. It's just something that I knew that in two years, I would look back and for the rest of my life, look back and say, man, I screwed up not playing high school football or not somehow trying to participate in high school football. So came to my senses and I started asking, okay, 
again, if there's a will, there's a way. So I have the will to want to play football. Now let's find a way. And I told people, like, is there, is there any way? Can you help me think of a way? Is there anything that I can do that, that I could participate? I, I know I wasn't going to be the star receiver. I knew I was going to be the star, you know, quarterback. I, like, I wasn't going to sugarcoat things. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not, not out here trying to just, you know, do things just to do things. Like, I, I, I get there's limitations, but is there anything? They said, well, there is this position called long snapping. Okay, so what is it? Well, you snap to the holder for, you know, a field goal uh, or to the punter for a punt. You know, most people don't realize there's, you know, someone who's actually trained and, and specializes in getting that snap back there. Why? Because it needs to be consistent. It needs to be precise. It needs to be fast. And, you know, like I said, not not just anyone can do it. So not only that, so it's not only consistent from a yardage standpoint, really, but it's also somewhat protected from a rule standpoint. So you can't, you know, line up over the snapper and just absolutely, you know, truck them and stuff. Not that I was even scared of that, but, you know, it definitely helps my mom and others. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying well like you can't you know you can't necessarily directly get hit i knew back to my flag football days i could snap a ball you know i could snap um a ball to uh you know the shotgun position of a quarterback so went went down there and tried to snap with one hand um mm-hmm. like long snapping and they're like okay well i mean those are decent snaps if you were snapping to a shotgun but this is way different you know try putting two hands on the ball get it back there faster and i was just trying and you know, I didn't know what I was doing. So it was just, I was awful. Right. You know, these coaches to honestly, no fault of their own. They're kind of like, okay, great. So not only is this blanket coming down here trying to, you know, do play football, but he's also trying to do something he doesn't even know how to do. Like, what are we supposed to do with this? Right. But there was one coach. She was like, Hey, look, I'm not going to promise anything, but if you do want to learn at least how to long snap, I'd be willing to teach you, you know, the, the, the skills and, 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 you know, kind of show you exactly what to do. And so I took him up on the offer that entire rest of the, you know, month of the school year. And then into the summer, we practiced every day and even met off campus during the summer to practice. And by the time August rolled around, we went back to fall camp. I showed back up, showed the same coaches, you know, what I could do now long snapping and honestly it was really evident that i was the best long snapper on the team at that point wow. then wow. and so literally all of a sudden you know the the holder and the kickers were like you know hey we want jake snapping the ball to us because it's like it's faster it's quicker it's more consistent than any other kid we have on this team and so we found a way an efficient way for the holder just to line me up and um and started varsity my junior year which was was obviously a, a very fun but you know like a nervous kind of feeling given I had never played tackle football before and here I am under the Friday night lights and it was yeah. it was awesome though and played varsity my junior and senior seasons and because again we played in such a high league there's always coaches you know at our practices or at our games you know coach Sarkeesian knew of my story as a 12 year old with USC he knew I was involved with the program a little bit he, you know he would watch me play and so I remember seeing him at games and you know I remember people even telling me hey you know coach is watching you or whatever and before my senior year I went to a, a camp up at USC and staff and then I played my senior season and it must have been like November or my senior season and I was up you know, out of practice at USC or on campus. I forget what I was up there for, but I was, and uh, I remember Sark walking up to me during the practice and it was during field goal unit. And he's like, Hey, this is like your period. I'm like, yeah. He mm-hmm. goes, Hey, so, you know, 
what are, what are you thinking of, of, of you coming here? And I said, yeah, you know, it's, it's always a dream school. I love, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm planning on applying. And he's like, well, you, know, you think you got the grades to get in? I said, oh, absolutely. And he said, well, you know, what's, what's your involvement with, with the team going to be when you're here? And I, you know, I had kind of thought of the same thing to an extent because, you know, I had the history and I was like, you know, I, I don't know, like I haven't put too much thought into it, but obviously, you know, um, I like to kind of be around the program to an extent. And he goes, well, have you ever thought about snapping for the team? <laughs> I was like, no, honestly, that has not crossed my mind. Uh, but he's like, you know, I, I see no reason why you couldn't. And I said, well, man, if, if that's on the table, then that's there's there's no other way I'm going to go to college and, and do anything <laughs> else. So once that was on the table, I I, I knew that's that's how that was going to play out. And, it, you know, it was it was so gracious of, of him and the program to offer me that walk on spot. And, and that's what I you know did. I walked on my freshman year and then kind of worked my tail off to prove myself and, and earn the playing time that I did. Such an incredible story. So the, the first thing I want to ask is what is the name of that coach who worked with you over the summer? Yeah, so Coach Wieselmeyer um, was it was who? So he he was kind of the uh, the classic older kind of crazy coach. You always have his shirt off, just like yelling things, <laughs> whistle around, and every you know he's like one of those coaches that everyone you know on the end of the year party you know goes on stage and 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 you know makes fun of and you know does skits of and like he's just kind of that character. But he is like literally the most genuine guy and and loving guy and um still very close with him i mean i i, I love you know the heck out of him but he again the, the whole time the whole summer he's sitting there you know jake i'm not promising not pro hey, look i'm not promising you're ever gonna be you know you'll ever see the green grass you'll ever see the, the game time or anything but we just kept we just kept putting our head down and i think as i got better and better i think even his tone changed just like <laughs> he, he tried to suppress the excitement, but I think he knew, man, like this kid's getting it. And I, I think there's, you know, a chance that we could really find a way to to get him to be in the games. And then eventually just was like, yeah, he's the best snapper. So let's find a way. Did you ever ask him why he was giving you the time that he did? No, um, honestly, I, I've actually never asked him that question so bluntly, but I think he just wanted to to help. And I think he saw one of the things I talk about when, when I go speak is just what I call, you know, the contagious part of, of passion. I tell people, again, when you're, when you're trying to find that way, so if there's a will, there's a way. So you determine if you have that will and then you go find that way. When you have the passion and when you express wanting to find that way, you'll be amazed at the people that come alongside you and help you find that way. Why? Because I think passion is as contagious as a smile or as a yawn in the sense that when you show people you're passionate about something, you show people you have drive, you show people you have that will to want to figure something out. It's contagious. People want to kind of get on board and, and, and help you find that way. And I think he just saw the love and kind of this, this desire and passion I had to, to really want to be involved and do something. I think he just really kind of, caught that contagion of like hey i will be there alongside you helping you do this not knowing where it's going to go but taking that leap of faith with with mm. me and and then i think again when he saw progress i think he he got really excited and just was you know wanting to to see how far we could go with this and i've spoken in front of of audiences with visa meyer in the crowd and you know i just i i i give him so much credit to to kind of taking that faith, leap of faith and and obviously you know this isn't there's no there's no coaching book on on what happens when 
<laughs> when a blind kid comes along wanting to learn how to long snap, but he absolutely took the task on and and, and God bless him for it. Yeah. And I, I love you describing the contagion because you're so right. Like when a person is hungry and they're willing to put in the energy and the time and they're relentless, you want to be with people like that. You want to help them rise up. It's so inspiring. I also appreciate you, Jake, defining what a long snapper is because the one long snapper joke that exists is you should never know who the long snapper is. If if the long snapper is doing their job, we should not know this person's name. And what's incredible is in 2018 for the Trojans, you long snapped in not one, but two NCAA Division I FBS football games. And the crowd went nuts. <laughs> okay, So like <laughs> everyone knew your name. You were the opposite of that joke. What was this like? Like, wh- what is going through your mind in this moment? You know, I'd be lying if I said there weren't nerves. But at the same time, you know, when you have that ball in your hands and you, you, you're actually kind of in position to snap, I mean, it's you know, you're confident in that you know what you're doing, right? You prepared for the moment. Nerves were there, but I have to say that every time I would go out there, there was just this kind of, this feeling of awe of just pure bliss and happiness because it's something that I, I mean, I worked my tail off to have that opportunity. And so I, you know, obviously wanted to capture the opportunity to do well, but I also want to just appreciate the fact I was going out there to do this. I think one of the more special parts about, the story is that because of the coverage of me as a 12 year old with USC and all the USC fans, you know, seeing my story, being around me, loving on me, praying for me, then seeing, you know, the fall up stories in high school, then come to find out I'm going to USC and I'm walking on the team. Everyone's so excited. Oh man, like, this is so cool. We remember when you, when you were 12 and then to see me actually go out there and do that. Obviously, all of you know college sports and college football fans knew me, but especially USC fans. And for them to have that moment with me, for them to you know watch me go out on in that field, knowing that you know they're probably at many of those games watching me as a twelve-year-old go out on that field, you know, uh, with Coach Carroll. Like, I, I just think it it meant so much to people to be part of the story. Everyone felt part of the story as as they deservingly did or uh, should because they were. I mean, they were cheering me on throughout all those years would, you know, come up to me and, and, and give me hugs and give me words of encouragement. So like they are part of the story and it just was a culmination of, of all that, that came together, those moments. And that's why I think it just was so moving to so many of those, those Trojan fans that were in the crowd. It really is a beautiful story. Um, I've seen on your website that you write, quote, I viewed going blind as my biggest setback, but it ended up being my biggest setup. And when you think about everything Jake just told us and you think about the odds of the likelihood of, frankly, any of this coming true. It's incredible. And it's it's a testimony. You've talked several times about being a 12 year old and being associated with the USC football program. Can you tell listeners a little bit more about what was happening then? Yeah, well, so again, we, you know, we found out I was going to go blind. And then, you know, it's not like we had to rush into surgery and, you know, remove my right eye or anything, you know, you know, there was a there's a period where we scheduled the surgery out, you know, about six weeks or so. And, and, so we had six weeks of knowing I was going to go blind, but having that eyesight. And so, you know, as anyone, I guess, would, 
you ask yourself, what do you want to see? You know, what do you, what do you really want to see in the last six weeks to put in your mind forever? Now, fortunately for me, it was the fall and being, as we've already established, me being a maniac for, <laughs> for football and USC football, I literally just told my parents, I'm like, well, I just want to see as much USC football as I can <laughs> through multiple avenues that sentiment reached coach Carroll who you know anyone that's been around coach Carroll can tell you what kind of guy he is and I think he just was like heck yeah let's just get this kid up here and let's just do whatever he wants they invited me up for practice I you know I had no idea exactly what that entailed but you know it entailed coach Carroll introducing me to the team and and my favorite player was the center because I played center so it's Chris O'Dowd and they said hey you know Jake's favorite player is Chris O'Dowd and and you know it's kind of rare because obviously yeah. <laughs> you know most people would think it's the star quarterback or yeah. running back or whatever and it was so funny because everyone who um all the team when they heard my favorite player was Chris O'Dowd they all started like who who <laughs> <laughs> So, is he even here is that a person yeah you know, exactly so uh they're giving chris you know all the grief so anyways i don't think coach carroll even knew who i obviously i mean obviously he didn't know who i was but coach carroll's right hand man for you know a decade or so was named ben malcolmson and ben says it best and that he's like coach carroll and jake are kind of like the same person just 50 years apart hmm. and I think when coach realized kind of who I was, the attitude I had, you know, he could just sense that we had a lot in common and he grew an, a very authentic, meaningful relationship with me that day. And then, you know, it just kept growing as, as we just kind of were given the reins of hey, whenever you want to come up, come up, you know, whatever you want to do, let's do it. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he created such amazing opportunities was so purposeful and uh, intentional and, and, and including both me and I like to say my twin sister, Emma, you know, obviously, you know, she was, you know, going through a lot and just seeing her brother go through cancer and, and you know, obviously this. And so he included her throughout everything. And one of my, my favorite stories I like to say is we stayed, uh, stayed in the team hotel one Friday night before Oregon State and we were driving to the Coliseum the next day and anyone who's kind of been on you know a team bus before knows that you know, on the way to the game it's really quiet you know it's really serious all the players you know have their headphones on they're really focused coach Carroll the previous night when the bus isn't as serious you know we I was sitting next to coach Carroll mm -hmm. on the bus talking to him or whatever in the front row of the first bus and then anyway so we're, we're now the next day Saturday driving back to the Coliseum where the bus is serious and both Emma and I are invited to go sit with Coach Carroll on the team bus, you know, to ride in to do the Trojan walk and everything. We get on this bus and, you know, you've been on a bus. It's it's two seats, aisle two seats, right? You would think, okay, maybe Emma and I sit behind Coach Carroll or maybe, you know, we sit on, on the other side. Well, no, Coach Carroll shares the two seats with in the middle between Emma and me. So it's literally three of us sitting in this front row. <laughs> And his players are all, you know, serious with the headphones on behind them. And he's sitting here like kind of just like, a you know, obviously whispering and kind of like not trying to talk too much, but just like chatting with Emma and me and just mm -hmm. like kind of like just being so, you know, cool and, and just fun. And like, you know, I didn't realize it then, but obviously, you know, being part of a, a football programs now, it's just I don't know what what other coach would have ever done that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like he's probably like, you know, I got a game like this is really cool. This 12 year old's been with us and everything like but. 
you know, this is, this is game time. This is serious time. Like, let's, hmm. let's, you know, cut, cut the B at, you know, it's like, no, like <laughs> oh. he just had so much love and so much intention. And, and so did all the players. I mean, wow. you know, these guys wanted my phone number. They wanted to call me at nighttime. They wanted to you know pray for it. Like it just, I don't think coach Carroll knew to the extent of, of what invited me up to that practice would have done that day, but it, it just, mm. I don't, I, it was so authentic. It was so, brotherly it just it really was something that was beautiful and and you know to this day i'm still great friends with those players and mm. with coach carroll did any of them call you yeah i mean yeah i would be texting i'd be texting like the o-lineman at nighttime wow. you know matt barkley would call me and, and you know read the bible with me like wow. it just again they i was became their little brother and wow. um they just all were were wanting to be around me and support me and it just wasn't this one time like hey this is jake you know, he, he, there, here's a situation. Let's love him up today. Like, you know, that would have been awesome. And that would have been so cool. Just given that first day, like, I think people realize real quickly, like, Hey, hmm. there's, there's something here that's going to be more. And it, it obviously turned into, into much, much more. You've said a lot that has struck me, but one thing that you said a few minutes ago kind of stopped me in my tracks. You said, I wanted to think about everything that I wanted to see over six weeks before I went blind so I could have a memory of it. I I think that's such a pivotal exercise, one, but two, you're 12 years old and thinking of what you're going to formulate for your mind's eye for the rest of your life as a 12-year-old, that's an incredible thing to consider. As you were walking out to long snap, in 2018, did any of those images that you collected in 2012 flood your mind? No, absolutely. Again, little did I know when I was riding that bus with Coach Carroll or in the team hotel or walking the Trojan Walk or, you know, going to, to South Bend and Notre Dame and, and obviously, you know, the USC, the locker room, running, you know, going out of the tunnels, you know, like all those things, little did I know that I would experience them as, as a college player. In all of those moments, not even just, you know, running onto the field to snap, but in all those moments, I could call upon what those things look like. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's just a huge blessing. I mean, that's just like mm-hmm. such a huge blessing. I just laughed. Little did Coach Carroll know, little did I know, little did anyone know that, you know, mm-hmm. he thought he was giving me, you know, memories that I could just, you know, and an experience that I could just take during this hard time and take it the rest of me the rest of my life. Little did he know, like, these, this was you know, what I was going to be experiencing as a college kid. And um, like I said, I, I believe really, you know, to, to know that God was like, Hey, like, I'm, this is a blessing I'm giving you just, you know, you're, even though you're going blind, like you're, you're going to be able to really see your college experience here mm-hmm. um, as if, you know, you didn't go blind is, is something that like, I just kind of sit back and go, wow, like that is, that is a really, you know, gracious gift. It's, it's pretty incredible. It's, it's really, really, really incredible. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the show. Please don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Ruling Sports on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. It goes a long way to growing the show. Thank you for your support. You make the team, you compete in two games, you graduate, and then you go on to found a company with one of your USC roommates. The company is called Engage. Tell us about what you're up to and what motivated its founding. So I don't have to keep calling my my, uh, my college roommate. Uh, Daniel is his name. So Daniel was one of my random freshman sweetmates at USC. Up to 
the point of going to college, you know, I was able to share my story and speak. I mean, it just was something that I kept being gifted the opportunity to do. And so I would speak to different, you know, organizations, corporations, schools, whatever. And my parents would always be the ones who would kind of help, you know, field the request, travel with me and all that stuff. And, you know, it was, it was actually decent. I did quite a bit of it, but when I went to college and obviously the story kept growing more of it, more of it came, but, you know, both my parents worked and, you know, it was kind of getting to a point where it's like, Hey, you know, is there someone that could kind of do this rather than, than us? And not that they didn't enjoy it, but you know, just more professional as I got older or whatever. And my random freshman suite mate, Daniel <laughs> was, was just kind of honestly the, the guy to do it. He just really had the necessary skills and was the type of person and grew up around kind of a lot of, of different professional athletes and kind of professional situations as a kid, like he was very mature and just kind of seemed like, Hey, like this kid could really be someone who I could kind of make my right hand man. And so I did. And obviously as the story grew and as I snapped, like he just, it was really helpful to have him alongside me. Now we both majored in business at USC and the pain point for us in our, in, 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 you know, me speaking was that there wasn't ever a, a real efficient way to, to kind of handle a request once it came in. But even beyond that, there was really no central way for people to even find a way to contact me. I mean, it was kind of going through USC, you know, sports and information. It was coming through social media. It was coming through the mail. It was coming through, you know, my sister's social media. Like it's just, it was kind of just, chaos and so we were like hey, you know is is there a way is there anything out there where it's like you know we could just kind of direct people to not only be able to know how to contact but also cut down some of these these response times and and you know the whole process of telling people the same thing like what there wasn't i mean there really wasn't anything out there like that and so we started diving in more into the industry and come to find out you know it's yeah, the speaking industry was antiquated. You know, it's these kind of speaker bureaus that you got to call someone up and go through the whole process and, you know, waiting for people to call you back. And then the speaker bureau is reaching out and trying to get your information. But it's like, you know, they don't really have the deal for you. It's like, you know, they're just kind of maybe suggest like it's just it's it's inefficient. Then there's people who say they represent you, but they they really don't. <laughs> they're trying to do a bait and switch with maybe someone else and mm. people who I mean, it's just it's it's dishonest. Like there's a lot to it. So basically, we said, okay, look, let's bring technology to the space. Let's create this digital platform where people know where to go. It's going to be efficient. It's going to you know, involve technology where you know, these people can directly communicate. So all that, we, we dreamed of this platform where you could do that and knowing it would make our lives so much easier and obviously so many other lives. So we did it. We called it Engage. The, the, the website's letsengage.com. And it's been a wild ride. Being an entrepreneur is a wild ride. The, all the mindset stuff we've been talking about and battling cancer and going blind and overcoming adversity and all that definitely applies to being an entrepreneur as you're going to face many battles and many doubts, you know, ups and downs and setbacks and all that, all that stuff. But it is, uh, it is rewarding. It is a, a, a great learning experience. I've learned more you know, being an entrepreneur than I ever did sit in a, you know, classroom chair. I, I love that. And I, I love you discussing the fact that entrepreneurship is not easy, but so many athletes really succeed at entrepreneurship because they understand game planning, they understand preparation, and they understand committing to something. What mm -hmm. has been the most surprising part 
of entrepreneurship for you? Yeah, I also, I mean, to, to even add to that, though, like, I, I think it's, I mean, I, I guess we could sit here for an hour and list all the intangibles of what <laughs> translates between being an athlete and an entrepreneur. But I really do think that that grind, and even though it's not necessarily an athletic grind, but it's like that pushing yourself pressure and that stress that we put our minds and bodies through that give us that gratification when we accomplish something in, in athletics that like, I think that's really kind of what you get in entrepreneurship as well as you see something succeed and kind of grow. So I guess to answer your question and, and add more to it, like that's something that I really like about entrepreneurship is that that grind and that stress is stress. I mean, you know, good stress because, you know, I love working out, I love lifting. And that's really what you're doing in growing a muscle, you know, and, and developing a muscle is that you're you're going to the gym, you're putting stress on your body, and you're causing your body to then therefore adapt. Now, there's no difference in other aspects of life, if that's faith, if that's mindset, if that's, you know, um, mental toughness, you have to provide stress, you know, to to build it stronger. And so, what stress looks like in business is, you know, like found in, in a lot of entrepreneurship and I guess other, you know, other business as well, but like entrepreneurship, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, of stress. So you are, you're definitely putting a lot of stress on your business muscle and it develops very quickly because of so, but that's like something I really love about entrepreneurship mm -hmm. is that like, I really feel like it is the equivalent of, of going to the gym just for business because it is constantly overloading and constantly throwing different things at you that make, make you adapt and, and grow. And um, I tell people business, obviously it's fun to see a business make money. It's fun to see a business succeed. I mean, that's what your goal is. But I, I think a lot of people also need to recognize that in business and entrepreneurship, what really is going to set you up for success, long-term success, because businesses come, businesses go, is how it develops you as an individual, you know, as, as someone who, and we talk about this in athletes, right? The intangibles that, you know, sports teach athletes. Well, it's no different. You come out of a business, rather if it fails, if it, you know, gets sold for a hundred million dollars, if it gets sold for $20. I, I don't, I don't care if you come out of that being a, a person of, of drive with work ethic, with relationships, um, with, with integrity, with skill and intelligence, all, all, all these things, you come out of that business, you know, no matter what happened with that business, with those intangibles, like you are a very valuable person for a lot of other businesses. If you're going to create them or if someone's going to hire you to help it, with theirs, like there's so much success to be found in building yourself as an entrepreneur, as a business person, honestly, the, the pressure of, of making the business successful or not becomes a lot less significant. There's so much goodness in what you just said. But what I want to come back to is that anecdote about stress, because you are dead on, you are right on. But what the world and society teaches us or tells us to do is to eliminate stress from our life. Sometimes you have to go through that pressure to get to where you want to be and to attain your goals. So I, I love everything you just said there. Now, your platform, your company, Engage, today it can be used by college athletes to book speaking engagements. I've read some of your thoughts about NIL, and I'm wondering, what is one piece of advice you would give college athletes related to monetizing their NIL? I know money is, is, is again, fun and money is, 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 you know, goal and all, all that, but I do want, you know, to really, you to really think about what 
you, the message you want to send, you know, your purpose and, and, and going out there and doing the things you're doing rather be, you know, speaking, a, a, why are you doing it? You know, understanding you have an influence now as, you know, a representative of your team and yourself and your school and, you know, again, who you want to be in life. And so not just falling bait for, you know, a number with zeros after it, but really understanding, Hey, you know, this is, this is what I want to portray to, you know, that 13 year old kid who's going to be looking at this or to that person in the crowd who's going through their own challenges in life and is, is, you know, listening to what I have to say, because I'm getting paid to say it, you know, what do you really want to portray and, and, and say to those people, you, you know, you, you get all those answers down, then, you know, feel free to, to sell that. Yeah. You, you have to know your why and the reason needs to be bigger than dollars. And when you do that, the dollars will certainly come. Well, Jake, yeah. This has been an incredible conversation and you've already done so many incredible things in your life and they're only going to continue. How can people keep up with you? I guess just follow me on social uh, at jcolson61, obviously going to letsengage.com. Thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation. All right, Alicia, fight on. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I hope you gained wisdom that will help you rule your life. Let's stay connected on social media. We're at Ruling Sports on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at rulingsports.com and email me your thoughts about the show at alicia at rulingsports.com. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review the show and join us next time.